You're listening to the Rethink Travel Podcast. It's the podcast that will make you a better traveler. In each episode, you'll hear experts talk about issues in the tourism industry and learn how you can travel more responsibly. Without further ado, please welcome your host and responsible travel expert, Annika. So thank you, Melissa, for joining the podcast on the very first uh, episode. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you work with World Animal Protection, and they in turn work with the tourism industry, especially related to the Wildlife Not Entertainers campaign. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about this campaign specifically? Sure. Uh, Well, our our vision is to ensure more wild animals stay in the wild. Uh, But unfortunately, thousands of wild animals around the world are are used for to give tourists rides, to perform unnatural tricks and shows and are used as photo props in a variety of different tourist attractions. And they suffer immensely from being handled by tourists, uh, being separated from their families and their their mothers. And in many cases, um, they're trained quite harshly to to do unnatural things uh, and are kept in quite inadequate conditions that don't even remotely resemble the way they would live in in their, their native habitat. Uh, So the campaign is about educating tourists on what to look for to avoid cruel attractions. Our research tells us that the people participating in these activities tend to be animal lovers and they just have no idea that they're causing these animals harm when they buy a ticket to these attractions. Uh, And then another part of that campaign is to work with travel industries and uh, encourage them to develop animal welfare policies as part of their sustainability policies. Uh, so we work with them to identify what's in their supply chain and and pull out any risky activities and train their tour uh, guides and sales teams uh, on animal welfare. And it's a great pleasure to be working with that sector. That's fantastic. And it's such important work. And I completely agree that often it is the uh, people who love animals who take part in these activities because they enjoy being around animals, but they just a pure lack of knowledge if you don't understand what's behind the scenes. That's uh, fantastic that you guys have this campaign going um, and I'm hoping that it is doing well. It is, yeah. I, we It became a global priority for our organization in 2015. And since that time, we've had 200 global travel companies commit to never offering or promoting elephant rides and shows. That's been our main uh, focus. Uh, we, we work on a broad array of animal attractions, but we've really put uh, a focus on the horrific way that elephants are um, being poached from the wild in many cases uh, and and harshly trained to break their spirit so that they will allow uh, a person to get on their back or neck for a for a tourist ride and many people who are flocking to Asia to 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 participate in this activity just have no idea they they believe these animals are domesticated because they've been used in the logging industry and have been used for rituals that's not the case that that is a myth they are wild animals that have been harshly trained in order to tame them uh, to behave this way and they suffer immensely through that process Um, so there's a lot of education that goes into the work we do but we've had a lot of success in getting these travel companies to 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 help us change the industry and promote more ethical ways of viewing wildlife. 
Yes, and I've seen this uh, in the news as well because I do uh, work in the tourism industry. So I have seen these uh, updates on how people are now promoting it proudly that they are not offering elephant rides, which is fantastic. And of course, it's a little bit um, difficult maybe for everybody to understand because elephants are so large. So one might think, well, what is the problem when there's a relatively small person on the back? But of course, like you said, it goes back to the training and uh, that they are really wild animals that are, that are taken away from their natural surroundings. That's right. They would never approach someone in the wild and offer a ride. So in order to change their behavior and their acceptance of people in this way, they're beaten uh, basically to instill fear in them. And it's that fear that establishes dominance over them. And it's it's a cruel process that happens to the elephants when they're quite young. And it, it might last a matter of days, that painful treatment uh, where they're deprived and kept in isolation and, and, and beaten. Um, but as we know, elephants don't forget. And that psychological trauma really stays with them throughout their lives. And many people would be surprised to know that Elephants are still being taken from the wild for this tourist activity. Some elephants are bred in captivity for it, but they're still, because of the demand and the price on this activity, uh, it incentivizes poachers to bring in new elephants to supply the trade. And just to make it clear, there's just no good way of doing this elephant riding as an activity. It's just bad. It's just bad, absolutely. The cl- when you when you get close to an elephant, um, they are very, as you were saying, they're they're large animals, and they could actually kill people, and they have killed people. So if you're inviting people to ride them and even bathe them and come close to them, the people who work at that attraction need to have bull hooks and other painful instruments to manage the elephant to ensure that tourist is safe. Uh, So there isn't um, a humane way to make that happen for the animal and safe for the tourist and and even the mahout, the elephant handler, which is why we put a hard line on being against elephant rides. There's just no way to make that more ethical. So what is is the um, more ethical way to experience elephants apart from going out into the wild on a safari or um, some sort of a maybe an organized tour that goes around. Is there anything else that is sort of acceptable? Sure. Well, what we're trying to do with um, travel companies as well is to help us create a solution for these elephants that have been suffering for so long in these tourist uh, riding venues. And some of them are at the table helping us transition some of these elephant riding camps to become more elephant friendly. So we've actually showed, you know, strong tourist demand against elephant rides and showed the names of the companies that are standing with us, like G Adventure, Intrepid, and the Travel Corporation, which owns popular brands like Contiki and Trafalgar. And we've been we've been able to convince some elephant riding camps to change their practices. So they're working with our experts. Um, one of them in particular has uh, stopped rides uh, just recently, uh, and those elephants are now going to be able to behave like natural elephants do in the wild. Uh, they'll be able to forage and dust bathe and, and socialize with other elephants. And tourists can observe them in a sanctuary setting 
and actually learn more and have a more authentic experience and learn what how these animals do uh, naturally behave. So you can't ride them there, you can't get close to bathe them or feed them, but you can observe them. And you can even, I, we're gonna come up with some clever ways that tourists can actually engage in their, their lives a little more by, you know, whether it be creating like a medicine ball for them or hiding some items in their, their enclosure, uh, their surroundings, which is more like a paddock really, that they could find and search for that would stimulate natural behaviors too. So um, there are different ways to do it. And unfortunately, these elephants can't be released in the wild. So we're trying to do our best with the travel companies that are working with us to promote a different way of viewing them where they can just just be elephants. That's fantastic. And yeah, like you said, it's just uh, educating uh, the industry and the travelers about the change that riding elephants is not an ethical option, but we do offer something else, which is, I would argue, even a more authentic way to um, uh, experience the animals when you're not sitting on them, but you're seeing them out, like you said, acting like elephants. Now, is there a specific region where this is most issue? I'm assuming it is Asia, but is there anywhere else uh, where elephant rides are common? It's, it's yeah, it's common across Asia and Thailand and uh, in India. Uh, in Cambodia, um, but it's spreading, sadly, to southern Africa. Uh, And we did uh, commission a report on that uh, a few years ago to show that it was creeping up there, um, which is really sad because so many people go to Africa to see animals in the wild on a safari. We, um, you know, they don't, I don't think, want to see them in captivity. Um, But as we see, a lot of people are duped by these types of experiences. They assume that the animals were rescued uh, and that by participating and buying a ticket, they are supporting that animal's care. Mm -hmm. Uh, in captivity, but many, many roadside zoo type attractions masquerade as sanctuaries. And we always uh, encourage people to to ask questions and to really make sure that they're supporting a, a genuine sanctuary that keeps the, the interests of animals up front. Well, now we talked about these elephant rides, which are the main part of your campaign. Um, what other um, animal attractions are part of your campaigns that you are um, um, informing travelers about? Sure. Um, Swim with dolphin experiences is another big activity that is popular globally and particularly for Canadians because it shows up in a lot of tourist hotspots for Canadians. Um, You know, all the sun destinations, Florida, Mexico and the Caribbean. I would have to say that that is the most popular form of wildlife entertainment. And again, um, animal lovers are probably the ones that are participating in it because they don't see any harm. Um, unfortunate for the dolphin, they look like they're smiling, but it's just, you know, their their anatomical features. Um, they smile even when they're suffering and even when they're dead. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're happy. Uh, and one only has to look at how they behave in the wild and see how vast their territories are, how deep they dive, how, you know, large their social pods are to understand that keeping them in a small tank that's less than 1% of their natural range where they can't even dive um, and have no choice not to interact with tourists all day um, is really quite sad for the dolphins. It violates all of their natural behaviors and, and normal movements that they have in the wild. So uh, they, they suffer enormously from the stress of, of those kind of experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's even doubly cruel that they are so close to their natural environment 
Uh, often there's just uh, some sort of a wall or a barrier separating them from the open sea, which is just uh, just terribly sad. Yes, it is. And the sea pens, you know, they can offer some things a little differently than, than a chlorinated tank. Uh, but then there's the pollution, which the dolphins can't escape from, and the noise of all the cruise ships coming in, and what happens when hurricanes hit this area, which is so prone to natural disasters. Um, these animals are at great risk, and that's just on top of the added stress that they face from uh, being forced to give tourists rides, to do tricks for them, to hug them, to kiss them. Um, people think that they're enjoying it, but if you think about it, are, like I think people think it's a really unique experience and they're lined up for that special photograph. And they might not think that in their one hour of time spent with that dolphin, that when they leave, another group of tourists come in and that dolphin just repeatedly does the same activity all day, all year in the same barren tank for the rest of its life. And if people step back and really think about that and see how they very rarely behave like a normal dolphin, it's called swim with dolphins, but I've, I've been to some of them to observe them and you actually, the dolphin doesn't do much swimming. It does pretty much everything else. Um, so it's just so uh, unnatural for, for, the, for the dolphin. Um, but another activity we put a lot of focus on is uh, wildlife selfies. Um, this is a phen phenomenon that's actually taking place in our national parks in the wild as well, to great risk to, to tourists and animals alike. Um, our conservation officers put a lot of work into educating the public to no don't go close to a wild animal, don't feed them. Uh, you know, we've all heard the saying, a fed bear is a dead bear. Well, the same goes for, you know, the, that, that educational message is really um, challenge when when you it's confusing to people when they're allowed to get close to a wild animal in a zoo or um, some other type of attraction for a selfie because they've been told the exact opposite when they're in their national parks um, but we found uh, that wildlife selfies are growing as a craze out there and it happens all around the world and even in places where you think animals are protected like the Amazon rainforest wild animals are being plucked from the wild to give to a tourist so they can have a photograph with an animal like a sloth or a caiman or a parrot. Um, and so that, again, people are paying money for that special, unique photograph, that souvenir of their trip without thinking of what happens before and after they click their photo. Uh, so the cruelty, again, is, is, is unseen to many people who I think would care if they understood. So a lot of our work is about education. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like whenever you combine money and animals, uh, the result is typically not positive for the animals at all if they are used as a money-making machine, essentially. Yeah, that's that's true. When when you see the increased demand for these types of attractions, it does fuel uh, poaching them from the wild. The animal welfare argument that we make is very much linked to the conservation of the species. Um, there, there are many um, impacts uh, negative impacts to wildlife entertainment in the tourist industry. Um, but I would say that, you know, there's still tourist jobs available in providing more ethical wildlife experiences. And we've had a lot of success in transitioning people to alternative livelihoods. So when we ended bear dancing in Pakistan, which is a thing, unfortunately, um, where bears were forced to dance for entertain to entertain people, um, the people that were participating in this were quite poor. And we were very sensitive to that. Um, so we worked with the local community to find alternative jobs. And uh, I think in some cases, some of the people 
ended up being wildlife enforcement officers and, and they would have a great skill in understanding how to find people who are attracted to the same business that they originally were. Um, in Thailand, we are also working with the Mahouts and trying to understand, you know, what they need to support their livelihood and their, their families um, when we transition elephant riding camps to meet our elephant friendly guidelines. Uh, but there's still a job for them in that at more ethical venue that doesn't allow rides. And in fact, I would say it's a safer job and it's a much better job because they're just overseeing the elephants versus being put in a very risky situation with a bull hook and an elephant that might turn on them or the tourists out of stress. And we've seen that happen. There have been reports of people being killed at elephant riding camps. Tourists um, are the ones that are reported. The mahouts, when the mahouts are injured or, or die, unfortunately, that does doesn't always make the news. Well, I'm so happy to hear that you are, uh, you know, taking into consideration the local communities and those people who essentially benefit from them. Because of course, it doesn't mean that uh, they are all evil people who just no. not not have income. It's just, uh, you know, one way or another, they ended up doing that for their livelihood because people are paying for it. So I'm uh, very happy to hear that you have thought of sustainable solutions and alternatives for these people. That's, I think, the best way to do it because otherwise it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I think change really does have to come from local communities. Uh, we are very sensitive to local cultures, traditions and ways of uh, relating to animals. But when poverty is involved and people are making a livelihood from it, it adds a whole other layer um, that's important to consider. But we also recognize in many of these activities we try to change that people are only in it because there's a demand for it. So they were supplying those animals on the boat in the Amazon because people wanted that that picture with the sloth. But if those people were to instead you know, look at their artisan crafts, they would supply that instead. So uh, we really feel strongly about showing just shifting demand. There's so much good that can happen through tourism. And if we just shift, you know, where our money flows so that no one's harmed and more improvement happens from it, then I think it's a win-win-win. Oh, absolutely. That is exactly it. And uh, I agree, tourism is definitely a good force uh, that can uh, bring a lot of good to uh, many communities, especially in the developing countries, as long as it's uh, used in a, in a proper way. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier uh, sanctuaries uh, as alternatives for these different animal attractions. But you know, if I start looking to visiting Asia or even Central America and I look into wildlife sanctuaries, I get dozens of responses and they look to me like they are not all exactly what I would call a sanctuary. So what's the deal with these? Oh, yes, well, there, there's nothing stopping uh, a venue from calling itself a rescue center or a nature park. Uh, unfortunately, they might just be another roadside zoo attraction. And what we try to encourage our supporters and travelers and travel companies to look out for are direct interactions with animals. So if you're able to get up close to an animal to hold it, to pet it, to bathe it, to take a selfie with it or ride it, or watch the animal do tricks that are unnatural, then the welfare of animals is not front and center. So it's not a genuine sanctuary. If the animals are being bred, but they can't be released into the wild, 
uh, then it's not, you know, they shouldn't be breeding animals. They should be putting out the message that captivity is really the last resort. It's it's not in the animal's best interest to be in captivity, but for some animals that can't be released in the wild, it's, you know, the only option. And and if they can be provided with a, a good quality of life, then, then it's, you know, a good place to, to support. Uh, if, if it were easy, you know, we would tell people to just look for uh, sanctuaries that are independently accredited by an association like the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. Uh, but um, they have very professional standards and you can trust their accreditation that it was done with a lot of expertise and review. Uh, but there are not many of those sanctuaries around the world. I mean, there are many, but not in every single country you might want to visit. So it's not always an, an easy alternative for someone looking to replace something on their trip. Um, but there are sanctuaries that are not accredited. And if they, you know, keep animals in a natural environment, if they have a good welfare message, if they don't breed, if they don't let tourists to come close to them, you know, and, and, and they're not forcing animals to perform tricks, uh, then uh, chances are, you know, it could be one that is doing great work and needs to be supported. So um, we've developed a sanctuary checklist that people can use, and they can find that on our website at worldanimalprotection.ca, or they can contact us and we can send it to them uh, that can just go through some questions to ask. But it is it is uh, unfortunate that there are many zoos that uh, pretend to be doing that kind of work. Yeah, I'll definitely link that uh, resource uh, below in the show notes. And I do get that it's really important to ask those right questions. And I've done this a few times and I go about it in a little bit sneaky way, uh, kind of posing as someone who might be interested in taking a selfie or touching the animals and things like that. So I'm, that's been my approach. I ask, oh, can I take a selfie or can I go and pet the animals? And then I'll see what their re- response is. That's a good way of doing it, too, because sometimes they might not be overt about the types of activities they would allow. It might not be on their website. Well, exactly. And oftentimes they will tell you what you want to hear to get you there anyway. But if somebody is truly uh, you know, ethical, they will for sure say, no, absolutely, we don't do animal selfies. So, no, you cannot mm-hmm. go and touch them because X, Y, Z, and these are the reasons. So... Um, uh, that's certainly uh, something to think about when planning trips. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is something that we see not even in exotic locations, but uh, sometimes quite near home, is zoos. Um, they really are the pinnacle of animals being used for entertainment and or education. So this is uh, kind of has all the... Uh, uh, points that we talked about, they're animals in cages, they are used uh, for entertainment for people to watch and learn, and maybe there's some photos with zebras in the background in Toronto. What's the deal with these, and is there such a thing as a good zoo? That's a really good question. It's one we get asked uh, quite a bit. Um, I mean, the welfare of wild animals is always going to be compromised in captivity, uh, but but some zoos are better than others. I would say the worst zoos are the ones that keep animals in really small bearing cages. They force their animals to interact with tourists uh, and force them to perform in shows. And and that's something, you know, our organization has focused on is, is, is the worst ones. There's quite a different spectrum of different types of zoos out there in the world. And I would say, um, you know, public opinion is really changing on the idea of keeping wild animals in captivity, but it's slower for zoos than other 
activities, when we've done our polling, people are finding elephant riding more and more unacceptable and swim with dolphins uh, follows after that. Uh, or dolphin shows because probably because of documentaries like Blackfish, which have exposed, you know, the problems of keeping large mammals in captivity in tanks like at SeaWorld. Um, but I, I would say it's a little slower to change on zoos. And that's probably because they are everywhere and people have good childhood experiences there. Um, many zoos also continuously breed animals because young animals are cute and they they increase the ticket sales. Uh, young animals are safer for tourists to hold for selfies. And I think people believe that zoos are breeding endangered species so that they can be released into the wild. And they're not. They're breeding animals so people can watch them behind bars all day. So I think that's the biggest educational message we need to get out there. And then people can make their decision of whether they, you know, they still want to go. People will, um, you know, we've often heard the argument that, you know, there's a lot of education to be had by seeing the animals up close. You know, we would argue that there are other ways you can be educated by watching a good National Geographic film, looking at a webcam at animals in the wild, seeing native wildlife, even salamanders or, you know, turtles in your own, you know, natural park that's nearby um, can be a great experience for people. And I would argue, you know, you can have more of an impact on those animals in your own backyard than than animals overseas, although we can all be advocates in many ways globally. But, uh, you know, there have been there has been research to, um, to show that people spend very little time looking at the educational messages at a zoo, too. So I think that educational argument hasn't really been proven that it has had big results on helping the conservation of the species in the wild. Um, I mean, our organization opposes keeping wild animals in captivity unless it's in the best interest of the animals. So a rehabilitation and release facility that is actually going to, you know, breed endangered species in their native habitat and release them, you know, just, you know, a little ways away from that facility in the wild is an example of when temporary captivity is, you know, has a good impact on the animals. But uh, it is it is something that um, I think we're not there yet as a society in understanding how those variety of animals that are kept at zoos suffer. And uh, one thing that I always find quite amazing in a not positive way is that it seems like these animals are essentially traded. Um, so, for example, you have, you know, a panda couple from China that's going to go to, let's say, Finland for four years. And after that, they are going to be traded to a zoo in um, Edinburgh in Scotland. And and they're all, well, not all, but often very different from their natural environment. Um, I used to live in Scotland, Edinburgh, and they had penguins and they had polar bears in the zoo in Scotland, mm-hmm. uh, which is mm-hmm. which I could not justify Um, no matter what the educational message is, because mm-hmm. neither gentoo penguins or polar bears are um, about to die off the planet just yet, nor do they exist normally in the same areas, and certainly not in Scotland. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, because there's such a broad spectrum of zoos and animal welfare issues out there, we've tended to focus on, and other animal welfare groups have tended to focus on the worst case scenarios. So trying to, at the very least, you know, clean up or close down the roadside zoos that are basically someone's hobby. They, you know, instead of collecting spoons or stamps, they decide to collect animals and have no knowledge or experience and keep them in ramshackle cages. Uh, And those still exist across the country, particularly in Ontario. 
Uh, and then looking at the animals that are just, you know, in the wrong ecosystem that suffer tremendously. There's a there's a polar bear in Mexico still that is in one of the saddest cages. There's also, uh, you know, quite a lot of scientific evidence to show that elephants uh, and other large, bass-roaming, social, intelligent, complex creatures fare the worst in captivity. So trying to get zoos to, at the very least, stop having those animals um, because you have everything, all this happens by incremental change. Uh, so you kind of have to pick where, where you're going to focus your energy and where there's more scientific evidence and public support for a change. Oh, absolutely. There's uh, certainly... Um, you know, a priority order, if you will, a lot of work to be done. And I think with zoos, the, the probably one of the main problems, especially in uh, more developed countries, is that it's not that the animals look like they are suffering. They have maybe a decent size pasture where they are out eating. There's a couple of them. But I think it's more of a lack of understanding from the psychological point of view of the animal behavior. Like maybe it's not acting normally at all and of course mm -hmm. you know if there's a giraffe in uh, berlin it's not exactly the um, african savannah you would want to see a, a giraffe in that is really interesting um on the zoos and roadside zoos i didn't quite realize that they were really an issue in canada as well i've just always always um, associate them more with something maybe in Asia or South America or something, uh, you know, not close to home, but um, interesting to learn about that as well. Yes, uh, I don't know um, if there are many left in BC after the, there was, the BC government had passed some new regulations after a woman uh, was mauled by a tiger at a, um, a roadside zoo or private collection. Uh, and, you know, these kind of safety risks happen at other roadside zoos. In Ontario, we have quite a few of them because the government hasn't passed regulations to license and restrict them and set standards for how they should operate. So when we go traveling, I'm just wondering what would be some of the red flags we should pay attention to when it comes to animals? Um, we mentioned a few, so, you know, you're not supposed to be able to photograph yourself with them or be able to pet wild animals. Um, what else uh, is there that should be a red flag if you see this while traveling around the world? Sure. Well, our simple rule of thumb is if you can ride it, hug it, or take a selfie with it, chances are it's cruel, so don't do it. Uh, believe it or not, other animals uh, give rides beside elephants. People are riding ostriches in some places and dolphins. Uh, by being pulled by their dorsal fin. Um, so this can cause a lot of stress and physical injury. Um, people get so close to the elephants to hug them or take a selfie with them as well. So any of those close contact situations are unnatural for the animals, cause stress, and there's likely cruelty involved in training them behind the scenes. Uh, so those would be our red flags. Um, also, uh, where animals are pitted against each other in a fight. Um, and this would involve domesticated animals as well. So we've seen it with wild animals with bear fighting, um, which is popular in Pakistan or has been. Um, but of course, there's cockfights and dogfights as well, and bullfights, uh, where the animals are, you know, pitted against each other and, you know, endure a lot of stress and pain. Also, you know, horse racing and dog racing can be done quite cruelly if the animals, you know, are forced to compete and can die of exhaustion, rodeos and stampedes, other domesticated animal issues to 
that should be scrutinized for if acceptable standards are being met or, you know, when donkeys and camels are used for treks uh, and when sled dogs are used for recreational purposes. And I think, you know, BC government, where, where you're based, has uh, learned um, through unfortunate circumstances through one of the largest cruelty cases involving sled dogs, you know, why that industry needed, you know, standards to protect the welfare of those animals. So with domesticated animal issues, we recognize that there are ways that it can be done humanely, but, you know, there's, it, it depends on, you know, the, the, the industry's ability to put resources into that and the SPCA and enforcement officer's ability to, to monitor it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what can we do when we are traveling? Uh, if we come across one of these places that are clearly unethical, so apart from obviously not uh, participating, is there something that we can do or that we should do? Absolutely. I think people don't realize what power they have as a tourist coming to a country to say that something is unacceptable. Uh, just by voicing a complaint to a hotel that might have a brochure promoting the activity or to the tour company that brought them there to that venue has a huge influence and helps show demand like what we're doing. It complements the work we're doing. We're trying to tell travel companies people don't want to see this. They don't want to participate. They want ethical alternatives. So the more people complaining about what they're seeing that's not ethical helps us. Uh, it might not change overnight, but if more and more people voice that complaint, it will change and people will offer something different. Um, unfortunately, there are inadequate laws around the world to protect animals and tourism, to protect their welfare in particular. Um, so you can complain to a local SPCA in case they do have a law that they can work with. But definitely, I would say voice complaints to people involved in that tourist industry, whoever's promoting it, the biggest company you see that's has their name attached to it as well. Uh, and definitely they can send us their complaint as well. And we'll see if there's anything else that can be done with it. And I would also encourage people uh, to think critically uh, if you go and ask someone who is handling camels in, you know, Morocco or Jordan, if you ask them directly, are they, you know, well taken care of and are they happy camels? Of course, they're going to say yes. Um, so uh, certainly some critical thinking um, is needed when traveling and, and trying to find out what is uh, truly good. That's right. And there are unfortunately some lo great local community groups in those areas where camels and donkeys are used the most. Uh, like Brooke and Spana are, are great organizations that usually have like a veterinary hospital for animals that have been abused and could provide people more local tips on what to look out for to ensure those animals weren't overloaded and are given proper breaks and rest and shelter. Um, but it is hard for the average person to know all this. So we've created a little pocket guide that people can download so we can make it maybe available on, on the site you're creating. Uh, and, and that gives people tips on what to look for. And another thing I forgot is they should post it on TripAdvisor, their feedback. Um, we had a, a big campaign a couple years ago uh, to show that um, TripAdvisor was, you know, giving certifications of excellence to attractions that treat animals quite cruelly. And that's simply because again, animal lovers are participating in these activities. They're, they don't realize the cruelty that happens behind the scenes. And unfortunately, they're also post, posting positive reviews. So the more people that are aware 
and sharing this information on a platform that's so well used, uh, like TripAdvisor, the more we can also spread the message. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when that campaign started, and that was just fantastic. Because I think it did uh, affect some change as well, didn't it? It did. Yeah, TripAdvisor committed to stop selling wildlife entertainment, particularly elephant rides uh, and swim with dolphin experiences. Uh, and if people come across any sales, they can share it with them and, and they, they can pull it down. Uh, they also agreed to create an educational portal. So if there's an animal activity on their platform that someone else posted a review of, um, they will provide a paw print and then you can get more information from our organization and some competing interests. Um, but at least you have the information and you can weigh your options and decide if you want to participate. Well, this has been so much good information, and I think this will help a lot of travelers to be more educated on these issues. And I will link a lot of these uh, organizations and guides that we mentioned um, in the show notes so they are accessible for everyone. Um, just to finish this off, Melissa, do you want to share something if there's something exciting going on at world animal protection right now um and where can people go learn more yeah absolutely they can go to our web page uh, we actually have a specific one for the campaign at www.standupforwildlife.ca that takes you right to the wildlife not entertainers campaign page and we're asking people to pledge to be an animal-friendly traveler. This will help us show Canadian travel companies that tourists want them to stop selling cruel attractions and that they're demanding more ethical experiences. And we will take those pledges to the different Canadian brands out there that haven't committed to us yet. So those will remain unnamed because we try to always positively encourage. But uh, when we don't feel we're being listened to, despite all the overwhelming evidence, we, you know, we might apply some more public facing pressure. And so those pledges are really important to us. We continue to do the work we're doing uh, and we hope to cut the ribbons on the new elephant friendly uh, venue that we're creating in Thailand uh, next next year. So people can stay uh, on the lookout for more information about that. Um, because slowly we'll see more uh, ethical opportunities uh, for people to see animals like elephants up close and support a good cause. That's fantastic. I look forward to learning more about that. That sounds like a fantastic project. And maybe that is a topic for a whole nother podcast episode later on. Uh, but thank you, Melissa, so much for taking the time to have this chat with me today and share thank all this you. wonderful information. Thank you so much, Annika. I really appreciate it and uh, hope uh, we'll get some inquiries and some more pledges from this podcast. We're always available if people have questions.